Well, I invite you, family, to take your Bibles, if you would, and open to the Gospel of John and to the sixth chapter. We're in week three of a 14-week study looking at how Jesus describes Himself in His own words. Specifically, we're examining 14 statements in the Gospel of John where Jesus uses the phrase, I am. Today, here in John 6, we're looking where Jesus says of Himself, I am the bread of life. You'll see it if you look down in in verse 35, where it says, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to Me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in Me shall never thirst. Again, later, if you look all the way down to verse 47, He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Sounds great. Who wouldn't want that? Eternal life. Satisfaction. Never be hungry, thirsty again. If Jesus is running for office, if this is His platform, if this is His campaign slogan, we can sell this. I mean, who wouldn't want this? Eternal life, satisfaction. These these statements of Jesus are part of a longer dialogue. Unfortunately, we can't look at the whole thing verse by verse this morning. But it spans from verse 22 here in chapter 6 all the way to the end of the chapter, verse 71. So 50 verses roughly. And as this passage begins, as it opens, it's a, this discussion, this dialogue. As this dialogue begins, Jesus is at the absolute pinnacle of His popularity. It's, it's following right on the heels of our study last week. We were just earlier in chapter 6. And you'll recall it's where Jesus fed the 5,000 men, which Really, when you add in women and children, it's a crowd of some fifteen to 25,000 people that He fed miraculously from just the two fish and the five little biscuits, little wafers of bread. And so He's at this, ma- this massive crowd, massive popularity. And that's where this, this dialogue begins here in verse 22 and where you end at the end of the chapter, almost everybody has gone walked away from Jesus, so many folks have left that it's questionable whether the twelve disciples will stick around either. And we wonder, what just happened? What caused this to happen? Did Jesus tweet out something that was objectionable, you know? Some anti-Semitic little slur or, or something pro-Roman government? And the people go, <laughs> and they've deserted Him because yesterday they were wanting to make Him king. And today, by the end of this, they've all gone. But as we look at this, We just read two verses. Jesus was talking about bread. And matter of fact, all the way through this this section, Jesus talks about bread. And we thought this was a nice, fuzzy, warm saying. And yet, it's a disaster if this is a campaign. It's an election campaign. There's obviously more to this story that we need to check out. 
By the way, Jesus isn't running a campaign. The evening before Jesus fed the crowd, we said that over on the northeast side of the Sea of Galilee. And as we said, that at the end of it, His popularity is bigger than ever and people want to make Him king. They want to forcibly take Him and make Him king. But Jesus instead dismisses the crowd and He sends the disciples packing. He gets them into the boat and starts having them row back across the Sea of Galilee towards Capernaum. And then Jesus goes up on the mountain to pray. It's just as darkness is falling, the day is ending, sends the crowd away, sends the disciples packing. He goes to pray. Now it's the next day. And early in the morning, a whole lot of folks, a whole lot of this crowd has stayed in the area over where the crowd was fed. They saw the disciples leave. They saw Jesus go up on the mountain. And they wake up in the morning and they're ready to go pick up with Jesus where they left off. Except Jesus is nowhere to be found. Other boats arrive looking to, to, to join in and with what's going on and everybody's realizing Jesus isn't here. And so some of the folks start walking around back towards Capernaum. Others get in the boats that came with people and they, and they all head off to Capernaum. And that's where we pick up here in verse 25 of chapter 6. When they found Him, that's Jesus, on the other side of the sea, that's in Capernaum, they said to Him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And they're surprised, and I think I can read into this a little bit, of disgusted that they find Him in Capernaum. Because their, their curiosity is evidenced in the question, when did you get here? What they're really saying, this is code talk for, how did you do that? How did you get past us? Because we were here. We sent the disciples. We saw you send the disciples there by boat, and you go up the mountain there. And the only way there is through us, and you didn't come through us. Now we know. We know that somewhere in the wee hours of the morning, between three and six, Jesus came down the mountain and started walking across the Sea of Galilee walking on the water towards the disciples who have spent the entire night rowing against the wind in this massive windstorm that has just kept them making virtually no progress. They spent the entire night and Jesus comes walking up to them, gets in the boat, the storm stops, and instantly they're at Capernaum. Marvelous miracles, but Jesus doesn't tell the crowd a thing about it. It's something for the disciples' benefit and just for hours as well. They've clued us in. But Jesus ignores their curiosity and He proceeds to expose big problems that they have that they don't know they have. Because as I said, Jesus isn't running for political office. Because He's not running for political office, He's really not looking for votes. He's not looking for their approval. Jesus is not looking for popularity. He's not looking to be a rock star. And so He's not impressed with crowds. He's not impressed with fans. What Jesus is looking for is people who will follow Him, people who will believe in Him. And that word, by the way, is a huge word that if you go through, and as I said, we won't be going through verse by verse through the whole chapter, but we will read through a part of it. And you'll notice that this word believe is a big word in this text. 
it shows up a lot. Matter of fact, there's really three things that show up a lot in this text. One is the word bread or food, and the word believe, and the words eternal life. That's all through this. Gives you a clue as to what the focus is. But Jesus exposes four things, four problems that this crowd has that is keeping them, or at least most of them, from believing in Him and finding the life that He desires for them. And it's worthy of us looking at today, and it's the focus of what I'm going to have us look at today because these four things that keep this crowd from believing in Jesus are four things that still today keep people from believing and trusting in Jesus. So, verse 26, we'll see the first of these. Jesus answered them and He said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking Me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on Him God the Father has set His seal. You see, this crowd is wanting, Jesus says, they want food. They want material, earthly goodies rather than eternal treasures. Jesus says, you're looking for Me not because you saw signs. You see, what He's saying is, you missed the signs. You missed the point of all the miracles that I've done, including the big miraculous dinner last night. So you're looking for Me not because you saw signs, but rather you're looking for Me, Jesus says, because you stuffed your stomach at dinner last night. And it's time to eat again, and you want more food. You're fixated on food. Because of that, you can't see the meaning of the signs. You see, Jesus is saying the miracles were signs. And signs have a purpose. Signs point to something. Signs aren't the purpose, but signs point to the things that are the purpose. They point to the point. <laughs> That's the purpose of a sign. It's like you say to your family, hey, you know what? Let's go spend the day at Six Flags. And let's go have fun. We're going to go ride rides. We're going to have a great time at Six Flags. So you load the family up. You get in the car. You go down. And you get on the Interstate 44. And you come up there. And there's the sign. Six Flags. Next exit. You pull the car over, unload the kids, gather around the sign, and spend the day, have a picnic, and hang out at the sign. See, that's stupid. It's ridiculous. Of course it is. And so it is, Jesus says, if you get enthralled with the sign and miss what the sign is pointing to. <laughs> and that's what this crowd has done. They have become fixated on bread. They have become fixated on earthly goodies. And Jesus warns against pursuing earthly food. Now, He's obviously talking about more than food. He's talking about it could be food or it might be houses, relationships, bank accounts, pleasure, excitement, entertainment, 
you know, whatever. It's the stuff of earth. And there's problems with the stuff of earth because it perishes. He says it's the stuff that perishes. It's the stuff that doesn't last. The old saying, the man with the most toys still dies. Doesn't matter how much you got, you die and you don't take it with you. It perishes. That's one problem. There's another problem with the stuff of earth. And that is that it doesn't satisfy. Jesus doesn't talk about it here, but we read the verse down a little farther in verse 35 where He says that he who believes on Me will not hunger and not thirst. What Jesus is going to offer is the eternal stuff that satisfies. But the stuff of earth never will. Because have you noticed I don't know when your last meal was, if you got up early enough and had breakfast, or if you slept in late and you missed breakfast. If so, you're really hungry right now. Because you see, if the thing you notice is whenever the last time was you ate, you want another meal. Some of you are thinking right now, you know, hurry it up, Pastor, because I really am. And have you noticed you always want another meal? You get money in your wallet and you want more? You get a TV and you want another one or a bigger one or one that's got super high definition UHD, you know, because my HD TV isn't good enough anymore and soon they're going to have, you know, you know, and, and that's just the way it is. We want more, we want bigger, we want faster, prettier, you know, whatever. We're never satisfied no matter what stuff we get. And Jesus says here, don't go for the stuff that doesn't last. Don't go for the stuff that doesn't satisfy. He's not saying don't have a job. He's not saying that food or things are bad. He's saying don't, don't focus on those. When He says don't work for those, He's saying don't pursue those. Don't make that the goal of your life. Don't make that the important stuff. Instead, what He's saying is, and he doesn't say it directly, but he's saying pursue him. Because if you'll notice again, what he says is, he says that don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. He's speaking of himself whenever he says Son of Man. So pursue me because I'm going to give you the stuff of eternal life and the stuff that satisfies. So that's the first thing that keeps people from following Jesus. They're fixated on the wrong stuff. Have you ever known people who just won't come to Jesus or won't follow Jesus because they're fixated on the stuff of earth, the experiences, the pleasures, and the stuff? It happens all the time. Second problem this crowd has, verse 28 and 29. Let's keep going. Then they said to Him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God that you believe in Him whom He has sent. So they say, What must we do to be doing the works of God? In other words, if you're saying, Jesus, we shouldn't work for the stuff that perishes, but instead the eternal life stuff, then how do we do the work of God so that we can get eternal life? In other words, the question is, how can we earn it? The second problem that this crowd has and that people today have that keeps them from Jesus is they want to earn heaven. They want to earn a relationship with God. 
And the problem is, Jesus says that's not the issue. Notice His answer. He says, this is the work of God that you believe. You see, these things, this eternal life, and the things that satisfy, Jesus says, you don't earn them. He said, the Son of Man gives them to you. They're a gift. You can't earn a gift. They're only available through Jesus and they're only available when we receive them, not earn them. And maybe you've wondered before. Because it's common when you talk to people, there's a whole lot of folks out there who are trying to earn heaven. You ask most people, are you going to heaven? They'll say, I hope so. You say, why do you hope so? Well, I'm trying to be good. Most people you talk to. And that's this crowd. Problem is you can't earn heaven. And some of you may have wondered, why is it wrong to try to earn heaven? I mean, what's wrong with trying to help God out a little bit? Well, we could spend all day on that. Let me give you just a couple of reasons why it's offensive to God. First of all, God says you can't. The Bible says you can't. The verse many of you know from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It's a gift from God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Nobody will be able to stand in heaven and say, I got here because I worked at it. The only way we're saved, he says, is by grace. It's God's grace through our faith, our trust in His provision. It's the only way we get to heaven. We can't do it any other way. God couldn't be clearer in the Scripture. But there's another problem. The problem is that if you try to earn your way from heaven, you are wrongly assuming that you can do good that counts. That you can do some good that makes some difference. But I say you wrongly assume that because the Bible says you can't. For one example, the prophet Isaiah wrote these words. He says, All of us who have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. What he's saying is the very, very best you can do, the very best things you can do, all the good you can do isn't good enough. It's not even good. It's like dirty laundry. Filthy rags. That's the best you can do. There's another reason. It belittles Jesus' sacrifice. It minimizes, it cheapens the death of Jesus on the cross. You see, because if, if we can save ourselves, Jesus' death wasn't necessary. If we can do good stuff to get to heaven, Jesus didn't have to die. God became man and died in our place for nothing? And if you say, well, He started it and we have to finish it, and there's lots of folks who say that, that's another big fallacy, a big problem, because what it's saying is that Jesus' sacrifice wasn't enough. It wasn't sufficient. God says very differently, 
Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. Because by one sacrifice He, Jesus, has made perfect forever those who are being saved. One sacrifice made perfect. There's nothing to add to it. No more sacrifices need be made. And to tell God any different, you started it, but I have to finish it, is to tell God, well, Jesus wasn't good enough. You think that's offensive to God? I do. We can't earn heaven. Jesus says we simply believe, trust Him. There's a third problem here with this crowd that keeps them from coming to Jesus. Verse 30, So they said to Him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? You just told us to believe you. What sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. You can almost, if you read this through several times, you can almost hear a little bit of snarky attitude in their question. Yeah. So we're supposed to believe in you. What sign are you going to give us? They're back to thinking, by the way, about food again. They're picking up from the day before when they were, after they, Jesus fed the 5,000 or the 25,000, and the people started saying, surely He's the one that Moses spoke about. He's the one. Now, if Moses spoke about Him, He's bigger than Moses. And Moses gave the people bread to eat All the time they were in the wilderness, 40 years. By the way, there was a rabbinical tradition at this time that they thought that when the Messiah came, He was going to bring back manna. And so these folks are thinking, you're bigger than Moses. Hey, Jesus, you fed us lunch yesterday. (laughs) Moses gave us bread for 40 years. <laughs> what you going to do? Surely if you're bigger than Moses, you can top that. You see, they, they are trying to manipulate Jesus into doing a miracle just because they want food. They're trying to back Him into a corner. This isn't just a little talk here. This is a challenge. This is a getting in His face and saying, what are you going to do? Wow. These folks are pretty bold. And I say, they want a sign? Really? They're questioning him, like, prove, you say, you know, who? Prove it. Prove it. This is the same crowd that just ate the miraculous food yesterday. These are the folks who live in Galilee and for the last year Jesus has been going all through Galilee preaching and teaching and not just preaching and teaching. He's been healing the sick, giving sight to the blind and, and loosing the tongues of the, of the mute the, and the dumb. He's, he's been healing the limbs of the crippled and enabling the lame to walk, raising the dead. And they dare to say, Show us a sign. 
they've been eyeball deep in signs for months. They've seen dozens of them. Verse 26, Jesus says, going back to the beginning, He says, you've missed the signs. (laughs) They've been here, you've just missed them. Verse 27, He says, for on Him, talking about Jesus, God the Father has set His seal. See, that's the purpose of the signs. Let me explain. You know, we, we understand seals. They're all around us. You go to the grocery store and you can look at meat and there's, a, there's stamps on meat. USDA approved. Buy your Levi jeans. They've got the little red tag that shows this is genuine Levi's. You buy Microsoft products on the back. There's the little, the little uh, certificate of authenticity that's on the back. We've got labels and signs all around us that say what the point is, these are the real deal. These are the genuine article. And Jesus has just said the whole purpose of the signs was to point to Jesus and say, God says Jesus is the real deal. God the Father says this is God the Son. This is God in the flesh. That's been the whole point of the miracles. And these people, having seen all that they have seen, have the nerve to say, show us a sign. Show us a sign and we'll believe. The problem wasn't lack of signs. It was their lack of willingness to accept what the signs have already proven. Look down in verse 36 and Jesus says, But I said to you that you have seen Me. There's no mistake. You have seen who I am and yet don't believe. You don't need another miracle. So it was with them and so it is today. I bet you have talked to people as I have. And you've talked to them about Jesus and they've said something like, you know, if God would just do a miracle that I could see, I'd have no problem believing. You know, if Jesus is real, then have lightning come down and strike, you know... uh, you know, oh, we'll pick, you know, Bob Hank's car in the parking lot. <laughs> and if he does, I'll believe. And you know what? If God did that, right when you said that, I doubt they'd believe. And I say that with the authority of Scripture. Jesus right here is talking to a crowd that has seen miracles and they don't believe. The Scripture is full of people from Genesis all the way through to Revelation who see miracle after miracle and yet do not believe. The religious leaders who execute Jesus or have Him executed saw, they witnessed miracles that Jesus did and yet they didn't believe. Even after Jesus rises from the dead, most of them still refuse to believe. So it would be if Jesus did a miracle for the person today who says, all I need is a miracle. No. Jesus ignores their snarky little challenge. And He points out a flaw in their theology. Verse 32. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but My Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven 
and gives life to the world. Problem number one with their theology, they thought Moses gave them the bread and Jesus says, "Uh -uh. (laughs) uh-uh, that was God, my Father. He gave you the bread. Secondly, the bread Moses gave your ancestors wasn't the bread from heaven. Now, it came miraculously. In the morning, they would wake up and he'd go outside and there it was. It arrived miraculously, but it was still just food. It was food that if you didn't eat it, it got it spoiled. And if you ate it, it was gone. It was physical food that nourished you. It wasn't the bread from heaven. It was bread God sent, but it wasn't bread from heaven. But, and get this, Jesus is saying, if you read the verses carefully, He's saying, but you have something better. He says, the Father has given to you the true bread from heaven. And it's not bread. Look carefully at verse 33. For the bread of God is... What's the next word? He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. What Jesus is saying is, the bread of God isn't bread. I'm using bread as an analogy through all this stuff, but the bread of heaven isn't bread. It's a person. And it is... Me, Jesus is saying. You want me to give you, you want me to do better than Moses and give you food for more than 40 years? You want me to do a miracle greater than Moses? Let me tell you something. I don't have to do that because the Father has already done it. He sent the Son. Jesus is saying, Here I am. Verse 34, look at their response. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And we think, I read that and I think, wow, they got it finally. They get it. Now they say, oh, Jesus, yes, you give us this food always. And then I realize, (laughs) once again, they missed the point because the bread they want is still just bread. See, the problem is they want heaven. They want whatever God or whatever Jesus is giving, but they don't want Jesus. You see, they miss what the bread is, and so Jesus lays it out really plainly. Verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread. Bread of life. I wonder if he said it like that. Because I think he might have. Let me say it slowly and clearly and loudly. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, yet don't believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. By the way, a wonderful promise there for anybody who says, I'm not good enough. I've never been good enough. I'm too far gone. Jesus says, the one who comes to me, I will never cast out. Keep going. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of Him who sent me. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all He's given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son, Jesus is speaking of Himself, and believes in Him should have eternal life and I'll raise Him up on the last day. Could He be clearer? Believe in Me. 
and you have eternal life. And I'll raise you up on the last day. I am the bread of life. The disciples hummed just as I am. The crowd started coming forward and they believed and knew. Their response to this is it says that they grumbled about Him. Verse 41, because He said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they're going, who is He to say He came from heaven? Oh, oh. And, it, and from this point on, and we don't have time to go through the rest of the dialogue, but from this point on, this crowd becomes more discontent with Jesus and more contentious with Jesus. Till by the end of it, they all walk away. You see, and they leave disgusted, most of them. People are fine with a plastic Jesus that they can shape and mold into whatever they want Him to be. But they have problems when they come face to face with who Jesus reveals Himself to be. When they look into the Scripture and see what Jesus says about Himself, well, I don't believe Jesus was like that. Or I don't believe Jesus meant that. Or I, That's where the problems come. When people talk about Jesus in general, most people I like Jesus. <laughs> but they like the Jesus they've made in their mind. And when it comes to, to a lot of folks who like to call themselves Christians, there's an awful lot of folks who say, yeah, I want heaven and I want all the goodies God has to give, but I don't really want Jesus. You know, because they want to come to, they want to go to heaven, they're fine with playing the religion game. And so they'll come to church. They'll put some money in the plate. They may even get baptized. They do good deeds and they do whatever they think meets the obligations. But when they hear Jesus talk about loving Him, when they hear about having a personal relationship with Jesus, I'm not really interested. <laughs> People like to feel good, so they like religion. So churches are full of people who like the warm feel of worship songs and being together in worship and reading Scripture and being with other religious people and hear about how to be good and things and be encouraged to do good deeds. We all feel warm and fuzzy and just know that God is warm and fuzzy and He'll just love us all into heaven. But when Jesus says, follow me, and if anyone wants to follow Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow Me. They go, no, <laughs> no, no, that's not Me. You see, all of that is religion. It's not believing in Jesus. And there's an awful lot of that. And when Jesus has finished this, again, the crowds are gone. Verse 66, as we wrap up, let me, let's just go there. Verse 66, after this, many of His disciples, and that word disciples isn't talking about the twelve, it's a term for all the folks who've been following Him around. 
Many of His disciples turned back and no longer walked with Him. The implication is here that most everybody is gone. There probably are a few. And the twelve are still here. And Jesus in verse 67 turns to the twelve and says, Do you want to go away as well? Everybody else is leaving. Guys, you going to go too? Can you imagine? 25,000 down to a dozen or 20, 25. Small little group. These disciples are there. What is going through their minds? I'm sure they are so discouraged right now. They're confused. Don't have time to review, but go back and think about all the things that have happened in the last 48 hours with these guys. It's amazing. <laughs> the ups and downs. They're there. And Jesus says, you guys want to go too? They don't understand the things He said, nor why He said them. But I love Peter's answer. Verse 68. Simon Peter answered Him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and come to know that You are the Holy One of God. What He says is, where else do we go? We don't understand any of this stuff. We've come to believe You're the Holy One of God. No one else has the words of eternal life. So as confused and frustrated as we are, we believe You. Jesus doesn't expect you and me to understand everything. He doesn't expect us to have perfect faith that never shakes, never wavers, and never questions. But He's looking for folks who will believe Him. So the big question this morning, I know you're here in church and that probably means that you're here today and you're, you're saying, I'm a Christian. I'm a Jesus follower. At least I think He's kind of okay. The big question is this, are you really, not do you wear the t-shirt, not do you have the bumper sticker on your car, you know, that says Christian, are you really believing and trusting and following Jesus? And if the answer is no, can I say that likely the reason why is one of these four things? We've got a lot to learn from the crowd here. Because these are the things, the same things we trip up on. If we're honest. When we look in the mirror. May it be our confession like Peter. Lord Jesus. Where else can we go? You're the Holy One of God. Only You have the words of eternal life. Father, what a marvelous text this morning. This hits us right where we live. Some of us in this room have been caught up with all the stuff of earth. We quit following You. Some of us have been trying to earn our way. We need to realize there is no way to earn our way. We need to trust You. Some of us, Father, we've 
we've been those folks that that we've been demanding proof when we know the truth. We just use that as a smoke screen. Some of us here today are folks who just, we want all the good things of Christianity. We want heaven. We want the life insurance policy, the fire insurance policy, but we really don't want to follow Jesus. What a farce all that is when we think such things. Lord, may we be those who believe and who follow because You are indeed the Holy One of God. You are our Lord and our Savior. And only in You do we have life eternal and life that is full. Thank You in Jesus' name.